Hello and welcome to the commentary track for episode two and act two of the Pendant Shakespeare presenting Double Falsehood. I am Jeff Robinson, co-director of Pendant Shakespeare, joined by my co-director, Adam Blanford. Adam, good to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we are also joined by our dramaturge, Morgan Z. Sowell. Morgan, thanks for joining us as well. My pleasure to be here, all the pendamaniacs out there. <laughs> so we're starting off with a, a scene that I uh, remember mixing where uh, Enrique is just kind of uh, pouring out his heart and soul um, in the streets to a couple of bystanders. And uh, Morgan, you know, this is a this is an interesting and, and you know, frankly, difficult scene where where uh, Enrique really is is confessing to the fact that he just um, he just raped um, Violante, um, although he he justifies it to himself and, and tries to, you know, grapple with it and claim that it's not rape. What, what exactly is going on in the scene here? Well, it's it's a very yeah, uncomfortable yeah. moment for Enrique, but yeah. um, I, I honestly, looking back at uh, at Shakespeare, all, there's a lot of rape in Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, and in you know, I, I, I hesitate to use the word progressive, but Enrique like worrying about issues of consent, right? Even addressing that in a Shakespeare play is actually rather shocking. A lot of them, they're just very, hey, we raped. You know, it was what it was, but uh, the Enrique character here is actually trying to deal with it. He, he feels guilty. He's trying to talk himself into believing that it was fine. Right. Uh, no, no other Shakespeare rapist does that. Right. And, you know, the, in what he says, the exact lines, he, you know, claims, was it a rape then? No, it wasn't because she didn't cry out. I mean, sadly, that's a line we hear, you know, that's very men, relevant men, in, in 2020. Too. Exactly. That we hear men saying even even today. Um, so it's, in, you know, very, very interesting that that Shakespeare would write this scene, as you say, back then when when uh, rape, unfortunately, in, in plays and many forms of art was just something that you put in there and the characters never even feel guilty about it really or even address that it happened exactly yep yep um and yeah ml Earhart playing enrique in the in this act uh doing doing a great job uh with this with this uh performance you know just just going back and forth and uh trying to make uh make the character feel better uh, even though you know he he knows he's he's done something wrong here you can tell but now i have no choice and uh, the interjections from uh, Fabian and Lopez are are interesting and bring sort of a, a touch of humor to an otherwise obviously very, very dark scene as they comment on, you know, how Enrique is clearly losing his mind or, you know, just uh, just pouring his heart out here in the streets and not caring who overhears. with words the tumult of his heart. Then Julio, I might be indeed. Yeah, Morgan, the uh, the the bystander, you know, the bystander commentary is kind of an ongoing sort of theme in, in Shakespeare that you see pretty much across all his plays, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, usually, usually there there's somebody uh, funny, right? Who can who can give a wink uh, at you know? In in modern movies, we still have that. We still have the character who doesn't quite need to be there, who's just there to lighten the scene. Right, exactly. Usually, it's Kevin Hart. <laughs> follow him but at some distance so this music here um you know i was looking at the available uh, music options out there and not finding one that sort of uh worked for the scene uh for me so i actually ended up you know pulling together some 
various loops and kind of mashing them together. Um, and that was a fun way. I wouldn't call myself a composer by any means. That would be overstating it, but it was fun to try to put together something that sort of fit the fit the tone of the scene. Oh, how and, excited. How exciting. <laughs> and here we transition to uh, Violante, who, um, you know, is the victim of, of Enrique. Um, you know, realizing uh, as as they did back in those days that you know she considers herself dishonored, uh, even as the as the victim of this this um, awful crime again something you see in Shakespeare and many many plays of uh, of that era, um, and um, our actress Abigail Eliza uh, playing Violante in this scene um, just gave so many great great takes um, as she. As she comes to terms with uh, with what's happened to her and what her fate is going to be, uh, you know, here here in this time period. Yeah, Abigail did a, a fantastic job. Uh, it was it was great to listen to uh, to the performance and uh, and it was tough making the the, the take selections because they were all really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she really um, understood the the context of all her lines, understood the character. Um, and it just really came across in, in her performance, her, her great performance. Now, do you often get, get takes that are good, but make very, very different choices in the takes and you have like a really big decision to make with how you, with which one do you pick? Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say so. Um, and, and that's great. Like I, I love it when, you know, the actors, um, give you those different, uh, intentional choices to work with. And it makes it challenging and, you know, especially time consuming when, you know, you have a, a single line that literally could go on for three or four minutes. Um, and then, uh, you know, trying to choose which is best and sometimes even choosing snippets of takes and sort of mashing them together um, to, to make something that matches uh, what your vision of the scene is here. Yep. There are times when just the single, a single inflection will change the entire meaning of their, uh, uh -huh. their line and so we have to decide you know do we want to go in that direction or do we want to change it and by borrowing from another take in order to kind of mitigate uh, the the emotional content they're giving or to redirect it so that it's um it's more in line with with what the, the scene requires exactly this was a scene I had a lot of fun editing, um, you know, not only the buildup of the, the music, the drums getting louder and louder, um, but also the, the sound effects as uh, she's going to town on her uh, house or her apartment or whatever, uh, smashing things, uh, you know, shredding things. It uh, was a, it's so much was a good fun to hear edit. someone to hear someone flipping out and trashing their room that it's it almost takes just a little away from the uh, the intensity of, of her of her performance. Like it's a very it's a very uh, exactly dark <laughs> moment, and yet yeah. getting to hear things break is always fun, especially in audio drama. Yep, <laughs> they need to be doing something. <laughs> and now we are back to Enrique and Adam. I believe uh, this is where. You took over for for the episode here, um, and I like the the music choices that you had, um, and kind of a you know definitely an interesting contrast to where Enrique was at the beginning of the episode. Well, like you, it, it's it's a it's a challenge to find the 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 music that fits just the the right tone for the scene and the tone for the the uh, the era and for the you know just for the the region and so I, I was I was racking my brain and you know scouring through different 
different uh, pieces of music. And finally, I came across this and, and it was able I was able to convey what I wanted to convey in there, you know, because everybody thinks yeah. Spanish guitars. Right. But, you know, there, there's some really great pieces, but then they're backed by drum tracks or they're backed, you know, they're too modern and anachronistic. And so exactly. You know, eventually you get to the point where, you know, you, you got to find that, that little piece that's just pure and then stick it in there and, and uh, find ways to, to experiment with it. If I had known what a headache all of the uh, the Spanish setting would have been, I would have had a second thought about it. I, I mean, so would, I still would have picked it, but I would have had a second thought. Yeah, the next you one. You, you would have spared a moment of pity for us and then yeah. uh, <laughs> do it more. Exactly. The next Shakespeare will have to set in, in the future, you know, uh, with a specific note that all music should be techno. Oh, Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> we just did that with Toilet Crescent at two shows ago. So Ah, uh, there we go. I remember that one. Yep. <laughs> no. I read my ruin in your eyes. That's sorrow. Well, the music is everything. So you know, just find and that's the thing. Eventually you'll find what you need. You know, when I was doing a seminar short that, that Jeff wrote, I, I had to find different radio station music and I just sampled uh, yeah. like six or seven different individual pieces. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a new like a new morning news report. So, you know, it, you find it, but sometimes you just have to dig and it, it can be, it can be trying, but eventually it'll pay off. Yep. You know, one thing that's uh, uniquely challenging, I think, about working on Pendant Shakespeare versus uh, some other um, Pendant shows like Mage and Machine or The Kingery or Seminar is that, you know, with Shakespeare, you can't go in and insert like superfluous sound effects or action that, you know, Shakespeare didn't write, obviously. This was written for the stage. So it's more in many cases where there's no footsteps or there's no like action per se. Uh, you've really got to get the ambience right and the music right to make it uh, interesting to the listener and not just like a lengthy, you know, long, unbroken section of speech with nothing interesting going on in the background. Um, you know, because, you know, when you got a four minute long monologue when there's no action per se, not even footsteps, you got to have something going on for the listener so that they, um, you know, continue to be interested in listening, really. And I, I can't say I did like the math on the ratios of it, but just looking at this script on the page, it feels like there's a lot of speeches in it for such a <laughs> yeah, relatively <laughs> short play. There's a lot of long speeches. There's exactly. a lot of prognostication and, uh, and yeah, the, the action, you know, they're, they're sitting and they're talking and that, that talk is good, but at the same time, yeah, it's a sound designer's nightmare because then you're like, okay, what, what do I put in here? I, I mean, the carriage has passed by six times already. I mean, <laughs> right. If we have the bells ring again, it's going to be like, wait a minute, does time flow differently here? And so, you know, it's the little things that you think about it, like, wait a minute. I mean, you can't have the, the bell tolling the hour five minutes after it already tolled. Yep. That rooster crowed. I mean, either it's either it's severely diseased or, you know, something else is going on. <laughs> And, you know, one thing that's challenging, too, is that sometimes you'll find an ambience track, you know, that that background sound, whether it's uh, sounds of the countryside, birds chirping, that kind of thing. 
you'll find a track that seems like it's just perfect, but then like a couple minutes in, you'll hear like kids in the background or you'll hear like even worse, like a car going by or something like that. So you've got to, you know, try to snip that out as best as you can um, and make it sound like it's still flowing. So that can be one person who speaks exceptionally clearly to say something anachronistic. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Heracles was like that. I mean, yeah. I, I think one of the tracks was like a country concert that I put in there. I'm like, wait a minute, we can't have him saying yeehaw. Ancient Greece. Uh, yeah, and yeah, exactly. You hear most of the background chatter, and it's indecipherable. But there's always that one guy who comes through. Yep. Your favor is the envy of the court. I once used a background track that was a Welsh restaurant of people speaking Welsh, just to guarantee there was nothing you could understand in the background. Exactly. <laughs> Love the piano uh, vibe, the the uh, vibe provided by the piano track here. Very nice. I I, I lucked out because I mean that's the thing is you know, what what is going to convey the the emotional content of the scene while not sounding like it's from the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know you have to sit there and just kind of think of what are the most timeless instruments and what do I have to work with here? Yeah, very good. And uh, I meant to give her a shout out in the first episode, so just want to call attention to uh, Bridget Gusewitz, uh, our Leonora, uh, again, another uh, actress who was very heavily invested in the performance, and you could tell really uh, took the time to understand uh, the text um, and understand her character. Um, who is wronged by you know so many people in this this play um, Enrique and and Julio both I think at various points um, and just a you know terrific terrific performance love the emotion uh, that Bridget brought to the role. She was praised for this. For this, her name was great performance. This will be absolutely imputed to her. Her firm love conquered what era opposed it, and she prospered long time. Bridget voices another character in the Kingery. That's right. You are the father. That's where I first oh. uh, gained familiarity with uh, with with their voice and go to you're a fool. No doubt you have old stories. And uh, she's playing opposite Sarah Palmero as uh, Don Bernard, her father. Uh, again, I think I mentioned in the first commentary just um, love Love Sarah's voice, and uh, you know she's got a great range. And uh, here, you know, specifically bringing her um, masculine qualities to the role and doing a tremendous, uh, tremendous job of it. Lots of gravitas for the character. Great deal too much of. Go, go your ways, and you hear. Get ready. Yeah, the funny thing is, um, Sarah and I seem to be. It's like. Do it. We, we're we're in more and more productions together mm-hmm. because we're in you know we're in Genesis Avalon and then we're in another show called Cataclysm Black and we're you know we've we've done this and so there's a there's a gradual progression where I'm going to run into Sarah every time and it's been accelerating so yeah yes the world of audio drama is simultaneously very large and very small <laughs> it's a very intimate worldwide club. Yep. <laughs> it's a small little club of hundreds of thousands of people. Yep. And uh, as home recording technology gets better and better, it uh, you know brings more people into the fold, which is nice. You know, so nice to listen to 
modern audio drama and people are crystal clear because you can get a decent mic these days for, you know, less than a hundred bucks. Whereas even 10 years ago, that technology was just out of reach for, for too many people. I mean, even five years ago. Yeah. But she chose me. And I just I just was listening to uh, 1865, the Lincoln audio drama on, uh, and just it, it's such a it's a phenomenon. And to think like yes, like this thing is extremely successful in the commercial sphere. That's uh, that makes me happy for the growth of audio drama back into the culture. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, it makes it even all the more impressive when you think that Pendon Productions dates back to what is it, two thousand five, something like that. Um, you know, long before the days where you know people had even heard of USB microphones; they just weren't a thing. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the fact that Pendant uh, has been around for so long, Tilly and uh, Susan's uh, brainchild just uh, makes you appreciate it uh, all the more. He is now engaged in his attendance. Here we have Julia Eve as uh, Camila, as always, giving a masterful uh, performance. Um, this is a, the role, I believe, uh, Morgan, uh, check me if I'm wrong, originally written as Camilo, um, but, uh, you know, changed it to a to a female character, which I think was a great choice. And it works. I think it may even have more uh, more heart as an overbearing mother. Yep. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And Julia, of course, knocks it out the park, as always. As always, for sure. Yeah. I would listen to her read the encyclopedia or Wikipedia. Why really, neighbor? Now, go 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 find one of her other audio books. You know, she narrates a bunch of them. So. Oh, yeah. Heard something of it. No doubt you have. Yeah, she brings kind of a snarky quality to this character that I just love. In the first episode, I think my favorite line in that episode was when she says, you know, horsemanship, what does Julio know of horsemanship? You know, just basically saying, you know, my son's a dumbass. He doesn't know how to ride a horse, basically. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to get a beat on, the, on her character because in, in later episodes, Roderick has a number of scenes that he's facing off against uh, Camila and so I got to yep. find a way to be more balanced mm -hmm. and uh, just be like okay it's it's okay you know you're kicking my ass don't kill the messenger <laughs> exactly now the scene here with Camila and Don Bernard uh, has a uniqueness it is it's the only scene where two people are talking to each other both of them are in prose Ah, interesting. Good catch. Neither, neither of them are talking in, uh, what's it, the iambic pentameter. Neither of them are talking in verse. They're both, uh, Don Bernard talks prose to people below him and verse to people who are his social class. So it's a very interesting, uh, interesting take. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Morgan. I mean, a lot of people, I think, falsely believe that all Shakespeare is iambic pentameter, but that's not even close to being the case, right? Oh, not at all. Uh, it's usually a class distinction that uh, lower class characters are prose and upper class characters are uh, are iambic pentameter. So Don Bernard uh, being able to switch between the two, depending who he talks to, tells us something, tells us something about, or at least it would tell the Victorian ear something about his character. Uh, right. Hmm. It should be drawn after a very near neighbor to a certain poor neighbor of yours. Neighbor. <laughs> neighbor. <laughs> Fox. Just love that. 
And then occasionally in Shakespeare, uh, you get a rhyming iambic pentameter, but that's that's pretty rare, right? Just not seen too often. Um, yeah, not as much. Uh, often magical characters will get that, uh, or it's always the uh, the little bobbin at the end of a scene. <laughs> you usually get a rhyme at the end of the scene, and that tells the audience that the scene has changed in a world without set changes. Which is probably good for us, being that we exist only in a world of sound. Exactly. No more company today. At least, no such visits as yours. Adam, good use of uh, reverb in this scene. Yeah, always something that uh, is enjoyable to sort of tweak to give listeners the sense of space. And it can also sort of make you feel like the camera, so to speak, is uh, is further away from the, the characters in the scene as well. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we have to give that dimensionality somehow. Uh, if yep. we, we're lacking the action, then the acoustics are going to be the next step. Exactly. So, yeah. It's a fine line to walk because too much uh, location information can be very confusing when you're listening. You spend your time trying to figure out where people are standing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a. Yeah. I recently did an audio drama uh, mixing where I had to have characters battling with you know swords and axes and stuff, and but they were mm -hmm. moving, and so it's like, how do you get that dimensionality there and so I ended up having like four different sets of tracks with panned at different angles. Oh man! In order to give that three-dimensional kind of feel to it, and but yeah. it took a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, panning is always one of those things that, when done well, um, it really can have an amazing effect. But you want to be careful not to overdo it. Also, yep. Don't need folks bouncing around for for no reason at all. I like how the music sneaks up on you here a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to give that uh, that that kind of essence of, of urgency. Mm -hmm. The pendant Shakespeare. All right, and that brings us to the end of episode two. Uh, thank you for coming along on the journey. Again, I'm Jeff Robinson, co-director, joined by my fellow co-director, Adam Blanford, and dramaturge Morgan Z. Sowell. We've got uh, three more episodes to come over the next three months, so be sure to tune in. It's, uh, this is a you know, very interesting and satisfying story um little known shakespearean story that uh you know the vast majority of us ourselves included have never even seen on the stage um so it's a unique opportunity to to really bring the story out to the world and we appreciate you all joining us